Good morning. Good morning, I've been switched on. And, uh, it's lovely to see you. Um, greetings from the Faith Mission Bible College once again. And uh, it's lovely to be here. We were over in Shots last night at a praise evening. And Carolyn said to me coming down the road there, she says, you know, we should just have lay in the church last night. That would have been much easier. Uh, we could have just have nipped on over then to Airdrie. But it's lovely to be here. Lovely to, to be with you. Carolyn and I are now second year students in the college. We just have a few weeks left of, of lectures. And then we'll be going off into summer ministry. Uh, a two year chapter, if you like, in, in our lives. That has gone very fast. We, we, we wondered just back in 2017, how on earth would we get through it? We knew clearly God was calling us to Edinburgh, but how on earth could we get through it? But a very, very fast chapter in our lives, and uh, it's great to be with you this morning. Pray for us as a family that God will lead us. We're not just entirely sure yet what he has in store for us, but uh, he knows, and we just wait and trust in him. Jason, your reading this morning from James um, was not in vain. I love it how the Lord pulls things together. Uh, this morning, I'm going to share with you from Jonah chapter 2. I know Peter uh, spoke last Sunday morning in Jonah 1. I thought it prudent to go to Jonah 2 uh, this morning and just to continue on from where he left off. And of course, this is a prayer. Jonah chapter 2, we'll be re reading from verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Amen. Let's pray just for a moment. Father, we thank you. And Father, we, we come before you this morning again just recognizing that you are king. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth. And Father, we come to you now, Father, perhaps with needs in our hearts. And Father, we just pray for you to speak. We pray, Father, um, for Jesus to be exalted and for you to have all of the glory. Father, just have your way with us, we pray in these moments in the Savior's name. Amen. So, so here we have this amazing prayer spoken by the prophet Jonah from inside the belly of the fish. Let's remind ourselves just for a moment what happened in chapter 1. 
In verse 2 of chapter 1, God said, go. And Jonah said, no. God said, go east. And Jonah went west. God said, go up to the people in Nineveh. But Jonah went down to Joppa. Jonah boards a ship heading for Tarshish to the ends of the knowing earth at that time, a 2,000-mile sea journey across the Mediterranean Sea. And God, in his great providence, sends this storm. There's great chaos on the deck of this ship. But Jonah is sound asleep down below. Then we have this confession in verse 9 of chapter 1, where Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, and worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And at this point, Jonah's starting to come to his senses, as it were. He's starting to realize that he's in trouble. Jonah then finds himself thrown overboard. He finds himself sinking down into the depths of a dark, stormy ocean. Then he finds himself being swallowed by a huge fish, and then he prays. It's a profound prayer. It's an honest prayer. And it's a prayer that delivers results. And just for a moment, I, I, I want us to consider this question. How is your prayer life? You see, for many today, prayer is misunderstood. For many today, prayer is undervalued. For many today, prayer is unused. Just how is your prayer life? For the Christian, you see, as we journey through life, we must understand what it is. We must understand what it does, lest we be swept up by all of the confusion, whereby prayer means whatever we want it to mean. William Still, who was, many of you will maybe remember, uh, was a Church of Scotland minister in Aberdeen. Whenever he was uh, in his church and he was just taking an, a normal service, he would have prayed for maybe 20 to 25 minutes prayer. That would have been normal in the life and ministry of William. You see, he understood what prayer was. He understood that prayer was a matter of believing that we were communicating with God. He understood that prayer just wasn't a one-way conversation. He understood that God responds to those who believe in him. He understood that that was the starting point. You see, friends, there's nothing vague or imaginary about prayer. There's nothing mystical about prayer. When we approach God and believing in who he is and what he has done, on our behalf. We pray, remembering that we're born again. We pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is interceding for us in heaven, to God the Father. Our God is always available for prayer. He never sleeps nor slumbers. Psalm 121 makes that very clear to us. Now, William Still said, if you believe all of this and you understand all of this, prayer for you won't just be a matter of clogging in. Prayer for you won't just be a matter of something you do in the evening or something you do first thing in the morning or something you do on a Wednesday evening. He says, prayer will be your entire life. It will transform you. Now, listen to this. William Still said, God is so much more than just a supplier of your needs. 
But so often, so often we're found to be reactive in prayer rather than proactive in prayer. I wonder this morning, has the coronavirus resulted in you stepping up your prayer life? I wonder this morning, are you concerned about family and friends? I wonder, are you concerned about the virus crossing your own threshold, affecting your own health? I wonder this morning, are you concerned about the economic impact and the fallout? And I make mention of all of this because at this point in the book of Jonah, the prophet is guilty of reactive prayer. For he was in no notion of praying because he was lying fast asleep in the bottom deck of the ship. What about you? How is your prayer life? The hymn writer sums it up very well. He says, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I wonder, is that your prayer life this morning? In the midst of this disaster, Jonah's immediate reaction is to pray from inside the belly of the fish. Is it familiar behavior to you? Does it remind you of even you? Jonah's lying in the stinking belly of a fish. His only concern at this point is now to pray. He's not concerned about the time of day. He's not concerned about where he is. He's not concerned about his posture. The only thing left for him to do is to communicate with God. Do you think church, it's possibly time we got serious with prayer? Do we not live in a day where man thinks he can accomplish anything? We can build skyscrapers that would make the Tower of Babel look like a bungalow. We can send rockets to the moon and back. Yet all it takes is a microscopic pathogen to cause chaos across our globe. I wonder, is it possible this morning that through it all, our God is driving us back to prayer? Just a final thought on prayer before we move on. If God is sovereign, which of course he is, and he works all things for his purpose and his will, which of course he does, is there any point and praying at all? And of course, the answer is yes, 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 a million times yes. And here's for why. J.I. Packer, who the Lord gifted with an amazing mind, can say this much better than me, and this is why I'm going to just quote him now. And this is what he says. There is no tension or inconsistency between the teaching of Scripture of God's sovereign foreordination of all things and the efficacy of prayer. In other words, God is sovereign. And there is no tension between God's sovereignty and prayer. Here's for why. 
God foreordains the means as well as the end. In other words, God knows before eternity began. God knew before eternity began that each of us would be here in these pews this morning. God knows all things as well as the end. And he goes on to say, and this is the bit that I want you to get. He says, prayer is the foreordained means whereby he brings his sovereign will to pass. Prayer is the foreordained means by which he brings his sovereign will to pass. That all said, let's look at these verses just for a moment or two where Jonah calls out to the Lord in his distress. And let's see what we can glean from them. The emphasis of these verses is not about Jonah or his plight or his mess. The emphasis of these verses is about God. It's about what God has done, and it's about what God is going to do. Jonah says in verse 2, even in the depths, God has heard his cry. Even though Jonah finds himself being tossed around in the depths of a dark, stormy ocean with seaweed around his neck, strangling, fighting for breath, one foot in the grave as it were, God has heard his cry. God is listening. And this has got to be a great encouragement to us this morning. For those of us who perhaps find ourselves in a difficult situation, for those who perhaps find themselves in a dark place, for those who perhaps find themselves in a dangerous moment, a time of struggle, a time of dryness, a time of barrenness. Do you find yourself there this morning? Do you find yourself in trying times? Well, the good news from the passage this morning is that God is listening. There are a number of reasons why we can find ourselves in these places. But for Jonah, at this moment, He's guilty of being disobedient to God. That's why the prodigal son found himself in the pigsty. And that's why Jonah finds himself in the belly of this fish. Both men, you could say, are in stinking situations, quite literally. One among the pigs and all of the stuff that they do, and the other in the gut of a large fish. But here's the thing. In the midst of this mess, in the midst of this moment of confusion, God's grace and mercy met with these men. God, who had begun a good work in them, was going to carry it on until completion. That's why God met with them. That's why God met with the prodigal in the pigsty. And that's why God met with Jonah in the belly of this fish. In the midst of the pigsty, in the midst of the stinking belly of the fish, God came to restore these men. I wonder, is there someone in our meeting, our gathering this morning that needs restoration? The honest answer for you is prayer before God. That's what the prodigal done, and that's what Jonah is doing here. So, 
We know why Jonah's in this. We know why Jonah's in the sea. We know why he's in the belly of this great fish. It was disobedience that put him there. Look at verse three. It says, "You hurled me into the depths." Jonah is clearly saying, "God put him there." Last week you would have read in Jonah one fifteen. It was the sailors who took Jonah and threw him overboard. But it was God who was using the sailors. And God was using the sailors to bring Jonah's redemption. Jonah, you see, was running the wrong way. And this was simply part of God's plan to turn him around. Jonah recognized that the sailors were simply instruments being used by God. It was God who threw Jonah overboard not to destroy him, not to destroy him, but so that God could use him. I wonder, do you feel as if you have been thrown overboard this morning? You know, the bottom line is sometimes God throws us overboard, not to destroy us, but so he can use us. Jonah, you see, was no, no use at all while he was lying asleep in the bottom deck of the ship. No use to God. Jonah now finds himself overboard in a place where it's no longer comfortable. It's wet. It's cold. It's smelly. It's difficult. But now God is able to use him. Do you know, dear Christian, there's a there's a real danger in becoming too comfortable. A real danger in becoming too comfortable. I wonder, are you asleep this morning like the prophet Jonah? You see, it's a million times better this morning if you're feeling uncomfortable. Because if you're feeling uncomfortable, you'll feel an urgency to talk with God. You'll seek God. You'll seek after his plans and his purposes and his will for your life. And that's really what's going on here in the chapter. That's what it's all about. I'm reminded very much of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, just a few chapters on, a few books on. In verses 17 and 18, he prays, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. In other words, Lord, if there's nothing, Lord, if you strip me of everything, this is what he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior. Friends, life may not be all that we want it to be. It may not be all that we expect it to be. It certainly wasn't for Jonah as he found himself three days in the belly of the fish. But do you notice how his immediate, his immediate reaction is to pray? It was to seek God. Jonah, you see, understood very clearly why he was in the belly of the fish. Notice what he says in verse 4. I have been banished, he says, from your sight. I have been banished, he says, from your sight. A couple of summers ago, Carolyn and the girls and I went 
to one of these inflatable um, assault courses that you get just on, on, on lakes or on rivers. We put on the wetsuits, we put on the life jackets, and when you put on the wetsuit, you begin to feel safe. When you put on the big, heavy, thick life jacket, you feel even safer, and off you go onto the assault course, and you can do all sorts of crazy things there. You can have all sorts of fun there. But that's not how ancient Israel viewed the sea. Ancient Israel viewed the sea as a place of chaos. The sea was a fearful place to them. The sea was where God's presence was absent. The Isaiah 43 speaks of this. The prophet speaks of this when he says, the Lord who is able to guide his people safely through the waves. The sea, you see, was a place of divine judgment. Think about Noah, six and nine, and all of the horror that came from the flood. But as terrifying as what Jonah describes in verse three, it's really verse four that we need to take note of. For Jonah, verse four was even worse than verse three. To be banished from the sight of the Lord was on a different level altogether. And what Jonah is saying here is that God and him are no longer on speaking terms. Jonah and God are no longer in communion with each other. No fellowship, no closeness, barrenness, dryness, nothing. Let me make a couple of points here. Firstly, perhaps to someone who still doesn't know the Lord this morning. Perhaps you have no relationship with him. You might well say to me, well, Andrew, I see no sense of alarm. I see no sense of terror. I see no reason to be worried at all. Let me be clear to you. Perhaps you, you simply don't believe in God. Perhaps this morning you're here and you have no intention of laying hold of his precious promises. The most wonderful promise of all found in 1 John 2.25. And this is what he has promised us, even eternal life. What I'm saying to you this morning is the greatest terror of all that you will face is banishment from God and a place the Bible calls hell. But maybe you insist in saying to me, Andrew, I feel no sense of danger at all. I just don't see what you're saying. I'm not worried in the slightest bit at all. Can I tell you the reason that you're not worried is simply because you do not know him? You're not worried this morning because you've never met with him. You don't know what it is to experience communion with him. Dear unsaved one, if there be one here, can I urge you to cry out to God, lest you be banished from his presence forever? Can I urge you to open your heart to him? John, in John's Gospel 14 and 6, it tells us very clearly, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says in John 6, 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, 
and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. It tells us in Romans 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It tells us in Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And friends, that's the gospel in a nutshell. Will you come to Jesus for your redemption this morning? You see, it's absolutely impossible to be in the presence of the Lord while you remain in a sinful state. Jesus died and rose again to be your substitute, to be your sacrifice, to take your place. Can I urge you, unbeliever, to make this decision now? When the clock stops ticking, as it will do for each and every one of us, there will be no decision made after. It's only the decisions that's made in this life will count. There will be no bargaining with God. There will be no negotiation. When you stand before the king on the day of judgment, you will simply hear the words written in Matthew chapter 7, away from me, you evildoers, for I know you not. Church, there's also a message for us here, for those of you who are believing in Christ. This word should resonate to all of us. There's a word here for the backslider. There's a word here for the disobedient. There's a word here for the believer who's on the run. There's a word here for the one who's prepared to admit that there's still sin in their lives. You see, to be banished from God ought to terrify you. It ought to terrify you. Jonah understood that as he was sinking into the dark, stormy ocean, he understood that separation from God was terrifying. If you find yourself in a mess, and I am finished very, very nearly, if you find yourself in a mess this morning, can I direct you to verse 7? When my life was ebbing away, Jonah says, I remembered the Lord. When Jonah remembered the Lord, the Lord sent the rescue in the form of this huge fish. Can I urge you, church, this morning to be honest before him, to turn to him and let him take control? Look at verse 8 very quickly. See Jonah's observation. Jonah recognized that there was no other way. God was the only way. Those who hold to their own ideas this morning, those who hold to their own methods, those who think they can do it somehow on their own, it simply will not work. Jonah saw this in verse 8. Verse 9, Jonah's consecration. Jonah now singing a new song to God, promising to make good what he has done wrong. Now prepared to go to Nineveh. Now prepared to go and preach to the people that he despised. And verse 10. In verse 10, we see Jonah's, <clears throat> see Jonah's liberation. 
Jonah is now liberated. He's freed from the darkness. He's freed from the stink. He's freed from the horror. He's back now on dry land. Not only is he on dry land, but he's now on the eastern side again of the Mediterranean Sea. Through all of the trial, God now has him in the right place. And that's so often what God does with us. We go through trials. We go through difficulties so that God will bring us to the right place. So in closing, if you find yourself in a mess needing a way out, make the observation that God is the only way. And like Jonah, I urge you to consecrate yourselves, to turn to him, live obediently before him. And like Jonah, wait in prayer for your liberation. Amen. We're going to sing together our closing hymn. Mission Praise 1368, What Grace is Mine. What Grace is Mine.